So this morning I've entitled the message, Who Will You Believe? See, this is an interesting thing, is that we get reports from all different directions all the time as we live our life. Like here's, here's an example. Uh, how many of you guys think the vaccines are a good thing? Vaccines. How many think the vaccines are a good thing? How many of you guys think the vaccines are a bad thing? See, the, the thing is, is pretty, pretty split. See, my wife and I don't necessarily agree on this either. So, actually, it's not really that we don't, her and I don't agree. It's that I'm, she is very uh, uh, committed to one side, and I'm kind of indifferent. Like, I, you know, I hear the reports. And, and here's the thing is that she believes the research shows that vaccines lead to all kinds of things that are worse off than what they're trying to prevent. The, you know, the big one, if you read the reports, is that vaccines lead to, um, uh, uh, oh, what's the name of that? Autism, autism. But if you, if you look, you can find just as many studies, just as many reports that show the other thing, that show the other way. So no, it's actually good for you. It doesn't lead to any of these things. And then, you know, they have the whole idea that uh, uh, if everyone's vaccinated, you get the whole, the, the, the herd protection thing. I think it's what they call I don't know. There's a lot of studies, both different ways. And truthfully, I'm, I'm indifferent because how do you know which report to believe? How do you know which one is correct? Who are we to believe? And the thing is, is that this one that me and my wife argue about, and, and like I said, it's, it's, I'm more indifferent than a pick the side because I don't know who to believe. The, if you read the reports, they're compelling either way. And the world is filled with conflicting reports. If we look at the news right now, you'll find all kinds of reports. You're going to find economic reports that say that the economy is booming. No, it's awful. Trump made everything better. No, it was Obama that made everything better. There's stuff coming from every side. Different conflicting reports. And then health reports. You know, you'll go to the doctor and you'll, you'll hear from one doctor that, that this is happening in your body. And like, I'm going to get a second opinion. And you go to the other doctor and they say, no, that's not happening. And, and, uh, and then you just you pick the one you want to believe. So you feel better. Matter of fact, a friend of mine who, who just hurt his back pretty bad. He had a couple bulging discs. He went to a chiropractor and they've been working on him. The chiropractor's like, if you don't get surgery, this is going to keep happening. You need to get surgery. Then he went and saw his general practice a doctor and he said, Nope, things are pretty bad, but you don't need surgery. Don't get surgery to make it worse. And who's he supposed to believe? They're both doctors. They're both, who's he supposed to believe? And then we're constantly being told conflicting reports of our worth. You know, your, your mom says she loves you, but your, your friend says that somebody at, at, at work or at school hates you and you're confused. Am I lovable or am I not? You know, and our righteousness, that's another one. Because the Bible tells us that we're righteous, but people around the world say that we're hypocrites. Different reports. And even the existence of God is argued. Someone say that he exists, some says that he doesn't. And it's just on and on. Some say the Democrats are right. Some say the Republicans are right. Many would say that all people are created equal, but then they live to the contrary. Do you guys get what I'm saying here? Do you see that no matter where you look, it seems like that there is conflicting reports at every direction. And it's not even just in the world because in the church you'll see people acting this way as well because some would say that we're unlovable, but God gave his son and proved that we're lovable. Some would say that, that humans aren't worth anything, but God gave his son that proves that your worth is beyond measure. Someone say that Jesus was just a good man. But I would contend that not only was he a good man, that he was also 100% God. 
See, the reality is, is that right now we are in a war. There's a battle going on for your mind and your mind share right now. And Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, we are at war right now. And the enemy is attacking you on one side, and we need to be attacking back on the other. But the thing about when you're in war, the outcome of the battle is oftentimes a direct result of the intel that you have, particularly the quality of the intel that you have. If you have bad intel, if you're going in unprepared and, 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 and un, not understanding what's going on, you're going to get bowled over. You're going to lose. And the world is contending right now to fill our minds with intel. That is every TV show, on every commercial, the world is trying to fill our heads with something that is, and con- is contrary to what the Word of God says. It speaks in opposition to what God has to say. And if we listen, if we believe the wrong report, then we're going to go into battle and we're going to fail. We're going to fall because at best, that we have is incomplete. But the truth is, most, most information that we're getting is utterly incorrect in opposition to God. You see, the thing is, God is speaking to us, and so is the world. It's one of the things that drives me crazy when people don't want to minister or preach to people or share the gospel. If you're not preaching to people, the world is. When kids, people say they want to let their kids make their own decision, and they don't minister to their kids, well, if you're not preaching to your kids, the world is. And you don't want them to, to get on, on that boat. So God and the world are both speaking to us. The question that we have to ask is who are we going to believe? There's a great story in the Bible that just brings in the conflicting reports and having to make a decision who they're going to believe in. Numbers 13, 17 through 20, it says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up to the Negev and go up into the tree and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Because now was the time, now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So most of us, if you've been going to church for a while, you've heard this story, you know the backstory. So Moses has just led his people out of Egypt. They're getting ready to head to the promised land because that's where God says that they need to go. They're out of captivity and they're walking towards God's promise. And when they get there, if you read verses 1 and 2, God tells them to spy out the land. So now Moses, acting on behest of God, is sending his people out. He sends out 12 spies, if you know the story, to go and check out the land and do these very things. He wants them to look. Is there enemies there? What's the land like? What's the fruit like? Come back and tell us how it is. Basically, they're going to assess the situation. And there are many, many different ways to assess the situation, but the ones that we use almost all the time is we use our five senses. We take a look, we touch, we see, we smell, we feel, we, do, we use our five senses to figure out what's going on. And truthfully, there's nothing inherently wrong with that because how many know the reason you have five senses is because God gave them to you and you need to use them. 
And we can even acknowledge the difficulties that stand before us. Even when God tells us to do something, I don't think it's wrong to acknowledge the difficulties that stand before you to actually assess the situation. I don't think what Moses is asking of these people is, is, is somehow going, I hear what you say, God, but I'm going to have him check out a few other things because I'm a little unsure. I don't think Moses is acting in disbelief as he's telling them to refer to all these things and find out all of these things. Matter of fact, I think what Moses is doing here is wisdom. Because when God tells us to do something, I don't know about you, God will often give me a directive, but he doesn't give me all the details. If God gives you all the details, come see me afterwards so you can tell me how it's done. It would be much easier sometimes, I think, if I knew all the details, how it was going to work out. God asks us to operate in faith, but he doesn't act us, ask us to operate in stupidity. The scripture says that if you're, any of you is lacking wisdom, then ask for it and he will give it to you generously and without reproach. So I think Moses is being wise. All right, God said we're going to go in there, but we're not going to go in there and, and be idiots. We're going to go figure out what's going on. We're going to take a look at the land and see what's going on. And I think, like I said, in our own lives, we should do the very same thing. We look ahead and we plan that is wisdom. Just because the scripture says that, that God cares even for the sparrows and they have everything that they need and you are worth, worth much more than a sparrow. How many know that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a savings account? How many know that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go get a job and just sit on the corner waiting for God to, to, to take care of you and just have stuff fall in your lap? You still have to work. You should still have a savings account. You should pay your bills and, and do wise things. Don't go into debt. That's wisdom. It's not the same as being anxious for anything. That's just wisdom. It's okay to do those things. However, we have to be super careful to not be put off by difficulties, to not be distracted by the difficulties when God has told us to do something. The truth is, when God tells you to do something, more than likely there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be stuff that's hard. It's going to be difficult for you to, to even see how that's even possible. The truth is, I think God does that on purpose because that way there's no confusion as to who did it when you come out the other side victorious. Amen? There's no confusion. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. It was God working in and through us. But sometimes it just seems like the odds are insurmountable. In many ways, it's like when I was in high school, we used to, to before we played a game against somebody, we would sit down and we would watch old games that they played to try to learn stuff about them. We'd watch their old sports tapes, see what they were doing. And never once did the coach have us sit down and watch that and tell us to be afraid of what they were doing. It was so that we would be prepared. So we would understand what was coming and we could counteract what they were doing. It was never about being intimidated by the difficulty. It was all about being prepared. And I think that's, that's what Moses is doing here. He's not, he's not looking to be intimidated. He's not looking to be afraid. He's not doubting God's provision. But one, God told him to spy out the land. So if God tells you to do something, you do it. And two, he's trying to be prepared for what he's sending his people into. Amen. And then he goes on. In verse 21 through 23, it says, So they went up, spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Libohamath. And they went into the Negev and came to Hebron. See, when I read the Old Testament, it's when you find out I'm not how to pronounce anything. Hebron, Ahimim, Shishai, Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And when they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between the two of them, and they also brought some pomegranates and figs. Can you imagine a cluster of grapes that big? 
Now, obviously, I, I, I've never lived in a vineyard. I don't know how big they really are, but the ones that I see in the store are little bitty clusters of grapes. So that many grapes that have to be carried by two men, that's crazy. But this is it. Moses says, all right, go check out the place. He sends out the 12 spies. They head to the Canaan, and they begin to look, and what do they find? That it's everything God said it would be. They begin to see the promise. They see this cluster of grapes that's so big that it has to be carried between two full-grown men. They start to see a glimpse of the promise God has for them. And man, is the promise huge. Matter of fact, if you read on in verse 24, it says that this valley where they find the grapes, they actually name it the Valley of Eshkel. They became the Valley of Eshkel and cut down from the branch. That Valley of Eshkel, what that means, Eshkel translates to cluster. The size of this cluster of grapes had such an impact on them the, the size of the promise has such an impact on them. They named the valley after this cluster of grapes. How many times in your life have you been given a small taste of what God has for you? And then all of a sudden, tough times come. That's like a, that's like a repeating cycle in planting this church. You know, God... God asks us to do something. I don't want to do it. It seems too hard, but I trust him and I do it anyway. So we open the doors in our house and it's just my wife and I and my family and Kathy and Joseph. It's just us. We don't know who's going to show up, if anybody's going to show up. You know, we're wondering like, what happens if nobody shows up? What are we going to do? This seems like an impossible thing. And then we have two families show up the first day. Praise God. And then nobody else for like months. You're like, God gave us a taste of the promise, of what he was going to do. And then it was difficult. And it's, it begins to, to weigh on your mind, and you begin to think, am I doing the right? And, and all of a sudden, all these doubts and stuff start to creep in. And we have to make a choice. You know, and it's not unique to the situation of planning the church. You can think of all times in your life where you see something where God gives you a taste, and then all of a sudden the difficult times go. Sometimes I think he does that. Just so we know, just because there, there's, there's some frailty in us. There's some, some idea that sometimes we need that little push just to keep us going. So we have something to look forward to. Because like I said, God doesn't ever give me the details. He tells me to do something and, and sometimes I make my own plans and they don't work out. Sometimes because I didn't even consult God, I just figured I'd do it my own way and I'll give you some advice. Don't do it your own way. It never works out for me, so... And I don't think that you're special over me, so it's probably not going to work out. Sometimes I do it God's way. And I don't understand how it would work out that way. Why would this even work? But you trust God, you believe Him, and then you see that promise coming out the other side. As we continue reading the story, though, that's not quite what happened for them. They didn't get a taste and press on. There's, there's some difficult times in the way. Numbers 13, 25 through 27, it says, At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they had told them, We came to the land which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Can you imagine 
being back on the other end, waiting 40 days to hear what's going on. They're gone for 40 days. You're waiting in anticipation. God's given you a promise. You want to hear if it's going to turn out, how it's going to be. And they, they, they're sitting in anticipation for 40 days. And I wonder, what did they hope to hear? I wonder, what were they expecting? I wonder if they were expecting them to come back and say, man, it's everything just like you said, flowing with milk, and then nobody lives there. We can just walk on in. There'll be no opposition. There'll be no challenges. There'll be no... I wonder what they were hoping to hear. And the truth is, is the report, it starts out well enough, right? They came to Moses and they're in the congregation. They brought back word and said, we came to the land which you sent us, and it's just like you said. It flows with milk and honey. The fruit there is huge. You're not going to believe this. Look at this. This is the biggest grapes I've ever seen. See, the thing is, as they say, that the milk, that's a, that's a reference to the, to, to the fruit of man. They're going to be able to raise their, like stock, their livestock, which is going to return fruit. And honey is the fruit of the land because there's very large natural resources. It's everything that they expected. It's everything that they could have imagined. And if they would have stopped there, things might have turned out different. You know, if we would keep our eyes on the promise of God and on God himself, and that's it. I don't think we'd experience near the struggles and difficulties that we do in our lives. But actually, you can even into this, even this part, you can already see that it's coming. Because they say an interesting thing. They say, we came to the land to which you us. No one says, we came to the land which God gave us. Because that's why it has given them this land. Nope, you can already see the fear creeping in. Creeping in. You sir. You can already see it building up. It's a foreshadowing of what is about to come. And it gives us an insight, actually, into how they begin to view God's promise. In Numbers 13, 28 through 29, it says, However, the people who dwell in the land, here's the, here's the however, the but. But the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites. They dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. See, next comes the buts. There's always a but. The problem is that as Christians, we always need to have our butts in the right places. But the thing is, is that they got their butts in the wrong place. Something Pastor Mike used to say, you have to have your butts in the right place. Because Paul, if you read the words of Paul when he's preaching, he says, Paul would describe something negative, right? Something that was bad, something that was going great. Then he'd say, but we are convinced of greater things concerning you. Paul always had his butt in the right place. And as Christians, we need to have it in the right place as well. Now, don't get me wrong, though. I understand their apprehension. I understand when they looked out into this land and they saw those things, how it could cause fear. I, I, I get it because I live it every day. There's always parts in my life when I'm looking with, with my daughter who struggles with some medical issues. I look at that and I, I see what's happening in the insurmountable odds and what seems like nothing is changing. And I wonder, God, where are you at? You've promised that by your stripes she is healed, but it doesn't seem to be coming the way I expect it to be coming. And it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to have apprehension and begin to, to doubt. I understand that completely. And I think all of us could understand that as well. 
See, that's one of the things that I think we have to be careful of when we read the Bible is to, to unintentionally take a holier-than-thou attitude with it. Because one, we have hindsight. We know how the story ends. We know how it works out. And two, all so often we do the very same things in our own lives. I mean, I want to give you some insight into why these people were afraid. Not only is there a lot of people there, which is, which is a bad thing, and, and, but it says right here that these are the, it says we saw the descendants of Anak. Do you guys know who that is? Let me give you a hint. Goliath was the son of Anak. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. Can you imagine an army of Goliaths that you had to go against? We saw those descendants. And God says that we're going to have to go in there and and take possession of the land, which he has already given us. But they still had to take possession of it. And there were people in the way. You know, and and we look back in hindsight and we go, well, but God's with them. God's going to take care of them. God's going to protect them. God's going to be there. What are they afraid of? Just go in and do it. The problem is I have to say that to myself all the time. I know, you know, I, I still to this day, I'm always, I'll, I'll say stuff. I'll be like, man, did you see what God just did? That amazes me. And then I quickly remember like, why does that amaze me? It's not amazing. It should be normal. It should be what believers see in their life every single day. When somebody is miraculously healed, don't get me wrong. We want to give thanks because God is awesome and he does incredible things. But it shouldn't amaze us. It shouldn't take us by surprise. It should be normal in our lives. The thing is, is we have to choose what we let influence us. And will it be God's promise and His ability to fulfill it that influences us? Or will it be the negative report? Will it be the obstacles that we see in our lives? I wonder how different things would have been if their butt was in the right place. What if it started out, we saw giants, and we saw huge armies, but God is faithful. But God has given us this land. However, if God is for us, who can be against us? What if they would have had that attitude? I wonder how things might have been different. There were some that had that attitude, though. Numbers 13, 30-33 says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it. See, a different attitude. It wasn't like, let us go conquer it, let us try to take over it. He says, let us go at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. He was convinced that God's promise was going to come to pass. If God said it, it's going to be. So he says, for we are well able to overcome it. And then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Isn't that different than what they just said a second ago? It was a land of milk and honey. Now all of a sudden, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height, almost 10 foot tall. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. See, I like Caleb and Joshua because they had their butts in the right place. They had the same information as the rest of the spies. Yet they came to a different conclusion. Isn't that interesting? The same information, but a different conclusion. Their outlook was completely different. Like I said, Caleb said, let's go take possession of it. He was convinced that it was already given to them. 
And he understood that the conquering part was already a done deal because God had said it was so. The problem they had was not the opposition that was in the land. The problem they had wasn't the difficulties. The problem they had wasn't the, what they considered insurmountable odds, but it was how they considered them. It's how they viewed the difficulties that were in their place. And truthfully, it was how they viewed themselves. You remember the last couple of weeks we've been talking about your identity in Christ and then walking in victory in that identity. And it's all about to live in victory as a Christian is to view yourself as God views you and not as how everyone else views you. The problem was is that they weren't viewing them as God viewed them, as, as conquerors, as the one who was going to take that land. It says that they saw themselves like grasshoppers. That would be like today when we would call somebody a shrimp. You know, someone was tiny. They're just a little shrimp. What do we got to worry about? They're not even, they're not even a full mouthful. They're grasshoppers in their sight. And as a result of how they viewed themselves, it was actually how the enemy viewed them. It's not quite as clear in this translation. It says, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. But in the New American Standard translation, it says, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. How the enemy viewed them had much more to do with how they viewed themselves than how they looked at them. They saw themselves as grasshoppers and the enemy figured they were afraid and they they viewed them the same way. They weren't walking in confidence as one who had a God standing behind them that was the the, the king above all kings, the name of all names. They didn't look at it. The God who was the creator of the entire earth. When you walk with him behind you, you should walk in confidence, not seeing yourself as a grasshopper. Sometimes we may feel very small. Sometimes we may feel like we're, we can't compete with what's coming our way, but we have to remember that our strength is not of our own making. I said last week we talked about living as who we are, and Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Remember that, church. Eight, Romans 8.37 says that we are more than conquerors than him who loved us. If we would view ourselves as God views us, there would be nothing that could stand in our way. But if we feel like grasshoppers in our own sight, then we have to remember what God has said about us. Go through and find those scriptures. Write them down on a piece of paper. Stick them on your bathroom mirror, your refrigerator, all of those things. And whenever you're feeling weak, whenever you're feeling like you don't measure up, look at what God said about you. I believe him before I believe you. John Gardner said this about the political arena, but I think it can be applied to the spiritual arena as well in the Christian's walk of faith. He said, we are continually faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as insoluble problems. Overcoming up is not an insoluble problem. It's not something that can't be overcome. It's an opportunity for God to show his glory and his power and his might through you. And they are opportunities to express our faith in a God who is faithful. Amen. It's funny how people often want to claim that Christians have blind faith. And they can't believe that we would have blind faith. And blind faith is crazy. And truthfully, I believe that blind faith is crazy as well. But I don't think we have a blind faith. We have a God who is faithful, who never lies, who never changes his mind. seems like putting your faith in God is kind of a, a done deal. It's an easy thing. Numbers 14, 1 through 4 says, Then when all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night, 
Now we have the people reacting to the reports. We begin to see which report they chose to believe. And it says that all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Man, how quickly their minds were changed. Now, you got to think, I think about this, and you think about where they came from. It's not like God has never done anything in their life. This is the first thing, and they're, they're, they're taking it off of, of the word of some, some crazy guy that glows every now and then. They saw God move. They saw that when the Egyptians were, one, they saw all the miracles that happened and the plagues that befell Egypt, and then they saw that when, when uh, uh, the Pharaoh finally let him go, that they came out and they just, gold and, and, and gifts. I mean, they came out rich compared to how they had come in and they, they were so blessed by the people as they just wanted them to leave. And then the armies followed them and then the sea came in and parted for them. I mean, could you imagine seeing the sea part? That would be amazing. Like when you see those kind of things, how could you begin to doubt that there's a God? And they walk through and it doesn't stop there. Then the waters crash in on the armies. They're completely saved. God has taken care of them. And now they're like, but this army is too big for God. And they begin to, they, I'm always taking them, because just what I told you, we have to be careful about how we view others in the Bible in hindsight. But on the other hand, I'm like, they've seen so much. And they begin to trust something other than God. They begin to trust their fear. But the alternative to trusting your victory in God is to begin to grumble. So they begin to grumble, and they begin to complain. And they begin to be upset. And the truth is, is that grumbling has terrible consequences in your life. We'll just step out of the spiritual arena and just think about your workplace. If you are in a, anybody ever worked in a hostile work environment? When you get there and people are just negative and they're talking bad. A hostile work environment is one where the, 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 the atmosphere is toxic. Particularly about leadership, it's just toxic. Everyone's complaining and grumbling and and. If you've ever worked in a place like that, it is no fun at all. It's not a good thing. You don't want to go to work every day when there's that kind of toxicity. And these folks, they began to talk and complain, and they ended up talking themselves into preferring to die elsewhere, to go back to Egypt to die or be in captivity, than to walk out in the promise of God. They begin to, to trust their fear more than their God. And then they tried to form a coup. Get a new leader. Let's get somebody else to take us back to Egypt. I wonder if they really thought that through. How do you think that that was going to work? Hey, Pharaoh, we're sorry. We'd like to come back. Hope you can forgive us for all the people we killed in, your, in, the, in the sea. I don't understand. I don't know what they thought was going to happen when they came back. But the problem is the enemy is always going to try to deceive you and try to make something on the other side look better than what you have. Make it look easier. Make it look better. He's always going to try to distract you from the promise of God because he doesn't want you to be successful. And when we begin to look for that stuff, we begin to pick out stuff, look for leaders that, that uh, uh, tickle our fancy. When we begin to look for people that do what we want to do, when we begin to look for those kind of leaders, we end up looking for people that do what we want and not what God wants. 
We end up putting ourselves in a position where we're, we're particularly in the church today, we start doing this kind of uh, uh, progressive Christianity. You guys remember the progressive uh, car insurance commercials where the guy walks through and begins to pick up all the different pieces that he wants of insurance and not the one? That's, what, that's the kind of Christianity people are looking like, looking for. They want to pick out the bits that they like and throw away the parts that they don't want. And they begin to look for leaders who will uh, tickle their ears and not actually speak the truth of God. Church, that's a dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. And in Numbers 14, 5 through 10, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua and the son of Nun, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of that Jephunneh, 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 who were among those who had spied out the land and tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. The protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. It says they fell on their face before all of Israel and huh, I could have swore it said they tore their clothes. Maybe I cut that verse off as I was reading through this. But the truth is, is they fell on their face before the God of Israel. They're 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 wondering what is going on, what is wrong with these people. Now, I as a pastor can relate to that because sometimes I want like. What, what is, why can you not trust God? Why are you so concerned? Why are you letting something in your life take the precedence over God in your life? Why are you le- and there's so many things that do it. So many things get in our way. Sometimes even church stuff gets in the way. The thing is, though, is when we walk by sight and not by faith, we often turn against the ones who love us the most, who will be able to help us the most. Because no matter the strength of the obstacle, God is always on our side. And fear is always appointing us away from God. They were were afraid. Caleb and, and Joshua said, don't be afraid, but they were afraid. Matter of fact, they were so scared of what could happen, they wanted to stone Caleb. They wanted to stone them. Oops, went too far. He says, all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Can you imagine being so afraid that when someone is telling you what God is saying, that you would rather have them die than listen to what they said? Well, the thing is, is fear, like I said, fear points you away from God, but fear is actually a type of faith. Fear is actually faith in something that could happen. They were wondering what could happen, what might happen. If you think about the times in your life when you were afraid, I bet you 99% of those things you were afraid of never came to pass. But you were afraid nonetheless of something that could happen. There's the old acronym that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Don't let fear cause you to turn from God and run towards destruction, church. 
Because fear is not given by God. It's not desired by God. It's actually overcome and removed by God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Because power is what God gives us. God gives us the tool of the Holy Spirit to operate without fear. And it just gives us a spirit of power. Because we're operating as ambassadors of God with his blessing and his authority. God gives us power to overcome fear and what we're coming up against. Then he says, but he's given us love because perfect love casts all fears. If we really understood the love that God had for us and how much he cares for us and how he, would, he was going to stand for us, how could we be afraid when we know that he is for us? Because when the one who loves you with a perfect love holds you, you feel safe and secure. Because he's our rock, he's our shield, he is our protection. And then he says it gives us a spirit of discipline. Because the truth is, is that sometimes we have to walk out in courage. Courage isn't the lack of fear, but the triumph over it. You know, the, it says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, so we know spirit, fear comes from somewhere else, and actually some fear is good. You should have a healthy fear of not touching the burners on a stove when they're on. That's not a bad thing. But when you let fear drive and control you, if you're afraid of burning yourself on the stove, so as a result of that fear, you never go near the stove at all because of what could happen, then you're letting it control your life. The truth is, is that our faith muscle needs to be stronger than our fear muscle. Amen? And as he goes on in verses 20 through 24, he says, And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, and as the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. God's pretty patient. Ten times. He says, Shall see, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give it to their fathers. And none of those who desired me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. And I will bring into the land in which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. You know, one of the things I wonder is, had I been there, would I have entered? Which report would I have believed? Because the truth is, is God gets frustrated with unbelieving people. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. If you won't trust God, you can't be pleasing to Him. So God says, basically, He says, fine. Right before, He says, fine. If they won't trust me, then they can just wander and die out here. I'll dispossess them. They won't be my people anymore. But Moses begins to pray, and he says, If you do that, then the Egyptians will hear of it, and the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they're going to fault you saying that their God wasn't strong enough to do what he said he was going to do. Because the truth is, in this day when nations went to war, their gods went with them. And if they lost in battle, if they lost and they were overtaken by another nation, their gods died, and the God that overtook them became the God of that nation. And basically, they, Moses said, if, if you do this, then they're going to think that you aren't who you say you are. So that's why he comes back and says, okay, I have pardoned according to your word, but they're not getting in to the promised land. You know, there are consequences for not trusting God, not having faith in Him. Now, if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're born again and you're saved. And if you have moments of doubt and fear, you're not going to lose your salvation unless you doubt your salvation. But 
there are consequences to not trusting God. And we see stuff happen in our lives all the time because we choose to trust something else. Because God is unable to bless us if we won't trust him. And we see here that the only two that trusted him was Caleb and Joshua. And as a result of them trusting him, they end up making it into the promised land because God says that they have a different spirit, a different attitude, a different mindset. They chose to believe and trust when everybody else turned away from God. They chose to believe the report of God's promise and not the report that the enemy was bringing them. And we all know how the end of the story turns out. This is Caleb speaking. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me. This is Joshua 14, 7 through 11. So I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of my people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God, and Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Church, I want you to know that our God is faithful. He is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And Caleb didn't get discouraged when he thinks about things not happening the way that he expected them. Could you imagine how discouraged Caleb could have gotten when he said, God promised me this holy land and now I got to wander for 40 years in the desert? Now I don't get to enter in because of all these other people that won't believe? He could have been grumbling himself. He could have been letting that get to him. And he could have talked himself out of his own promise, but instead he continued to trust God. And he didn't get discouraged. And we see an amazing thing happen because he followed God wholeheartedly, because he followed him fully. As a result, he inherited the fullness of God's promise for his life. He says he wasn't weak or old after 40 years. The scripture says that that he was just as strong then. So we continue on. He says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as I said these 45 years, since the time the Lord spoke his word to Moses. And while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old, but I'm still as strong as day was in the day that Moses sent me. And my strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. Dude's 85 years old. And he's, walking around in the strength of a 40-year-old. And not only that, he says that my strength is good not only for, for coming and going, not only can he get around, he says it's good for war. That means he's still strong. He's still ready to battle, that he can still fight. He's in his prime of his life. I think that's amazing. Because from the outside looking in, it looks like he lost 40 years. It looks like he missed out on 40 years of his life, but he didn't. He actually got it back. He was just, it's like he didn't age for 40 years. Everybody else died in that wilderness. Adam Clark estimated there were 3 million people wandering in the wilderness. And this was men, women, and children. And this means that approximately over a million people died and were unable to enter due to their unbelief. Can you imagine? But Caleb and Joshua, they maintained their youth. They maintained their strength. And it says it was because they trusted in God. 
And they didn't live, he didn't live a bad life as they were going through that because we know God took care of them, right? Manna from heaven, quail in the evening. They had plenty of food. Their shoes and their clothes didn't wear out. I wish that would happen for me now because my kids go through clothes like you would not believe. My son, if he doesn't outgrow them, he ruins them. It's one or the other. And I'm buying clothes all the time. If I could just have clothes that didn't wear out or shoes that grew with his feet, that would be so much better. I mean, Caleb didn't have a bad life. Joshua didn't have a bad life. They got to see God perform, but they didn't get the promise the way they expected it. But they didn't give up. They didn't quit trusting. And then they got the promise in fullness because they had a choice. They could believe their own report, which trusted in God, or they could believe the report of the other ten spies who seemed to outnumber them. Church, I want to encourage you not to miss out on what God has for you because you believe the wrong report. Don't miss out on God's promises for your life. Like I said, I don't think this is a uh, heaven or hell thing. Salvation is based on your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have the Son, you have life. But God wants so much more for you while you live here on this earth. He has so many promises to fulfill in your life. So don't miss out on it because you choose to believe the wrong report. You know, Mike told you earlier, my daughter is struggling with some health issues, but I continue to believe God. And I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I do know this is that my God is faithful. The scripture says he's watching over his word, ready to perform it. So I will continue trusting in him, whether it happens tomorrow or it happens 20 years from now. God is faithful. And I'm going to continue to trust him. And there's nothing that could happen that would make me believe him any less because God has always been faithful in my life and he's always come through. And yet I don't believe him for his track record, although that helps. But I believe him because he's God. And what God says is what happens. Amen? So be careful whose report you choose to believe. I would encourage you, believe God, whatever he says. And don't miss out on what he has for you because you choose the wrong one. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads.